Hello, and welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. My name is Jesse Seneschal. I'm the director of Merck and the host of this episode. Today's conversation comes out of work conducted as part of our teacher retention study. The study was initiated in 2018 by the Merck School Divisions to enhance our understanding of the phenomenon of teacher retention and the factors that influence a teacher's decision to stay in a school and to stay in the profession. This study uh, has led to a number of initiatives and research efforts. This includes the development and implementation of an exit survey across multiple divisions in the region, a longitudinal study of teacher retention patterns, analysis of teacher working condition survey data from the Virginia Department of Education, and a cost analysis of local teacher induction programs. Today, we'll discuss a recent report from this project titled Teacher Retention Policy Coherence, an analysis of teacher retention policies and practices across federal, state, and division levels. To talk us through these reports and reflect on the implications, we brought together two of the report's authors and a local school leader. Let me introduce you to them now. Andy Armstrong is the Assistant Superintendent of Administration for Goochland County Public Schools, where he has served for five years after a career as a teacher and principal in the Metro Richmond area. He completed his doctoral work in public policy administration at the L. Douglas Wilder School for Government and Public Affairs, and his professional and academic interests include professional identity among teachers and the effects of public policy in educational practice. Welcome, Andy. Andrean Castro is an assistant professor in the Department of Educational Leadership and Research Faculty at the Institute for Inclusion, Inquiry, and Innovation at Virginia Commonwealth University. Castro's research explores the cultural politics of race and education policy with a specific emphasis on teacher recruitment and retention and teacher diversity. Welcome, Andrean. Adria Hoffman is the Anna Lou Sheberg Professor of Practice in the Department of Teaching and Learning at the VCU School of Education. She also serves as the president of the Virginia Association of Colleges and Teacher Educators. Her work focuses on early career, teacher supports, and teacher retention. And I also want to recognize the other authors of this report that we're going to be talking about today. And that includes John, Jonathan Becker, who's at VCU in the um, Ed Leadership, uh, David Naff, the Associate Director of Merck, Peter Willis, and Andy Kane, who are both doctoral students at VCU. Um, so let's get this conversation started, and I want to um, start by getting some perspective on the topic. So we talk about teacher retention. Um, I'd like to hear about why this is such an important policy issue within public education. What are the driving questions in the field? And Andrean, maybe you can get us started here. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll start off by saying that um, teacher retention is a part of like this bigger double-sided issue. Uh, because on one hand, there's a challenge of attracting well-trained and prepared teachers. And then there's this issue of figuring out how to retain them and so, so that they actually stay in schools. And um, most people will tell you that improving teacher retention will generally improve the education system as a whole. And of course, this is true, but there are some specific benefits and advantages to improving retention. I think most importantly, teacher retention is a significant policy issue because uh, students deserve well-trained, supportive, and culturally responsive educators who will ultimately help them achieve uh, in life academically and socially. Um, And many studies show that when schools fail to retain teachers, 
student outcomes suffer. And this is especially true for teachers working in schools where there are more students of color and low income students. I think another important factor in the teacher retention uh, policy uh, debate is the cost of retention. Schools spend and invest thousands of dollars on hiring and supporting teachers. And when those teachers leave, it often results in a financial strain on those schools. And we know that school funding across uh, divisions are uneven. And so some schools end up suffering more than others. And this it further exacerbates inequities in, in our educational system. And then finally, I think um, retention is important because it negatively impacts a school's organizational climate. And this is often overlooked as a policy issue, but schools with higher rates of teacher exit experience greater instability. Uh, there's more memory or institutional loss, and there's often greater levels of stress and burnout because those teachers who remain must then find ways to fill, fill in the gaps for those who left. And then this of course results in larger class sizes, greater frustrations, and all of this then creates a poor learning and teaching environment where you can then see the vicious cycle of turnover and low morale. And so I think for all of these reasons, um, these are some of the drive, what are the driving questions in the field? Uh, policymakers must understand the appropriate policy levers to really figure out how to get teachers to stay in the classroom. Yeah, wow, that, that was a great summary. I mean, it is a complex issue and there, there's so many dimensions to it. And I think you did a great job laying it out. And I'm, I'm interested from um, Andy, your perspective of somebody that's been working in the system for, for your career, um, as you think about teacher retention and, and, the, and the policies that Andrine just outlined, sort of the policy issues that exist, what's, what's, your, what's your perspective on, on these pieces? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. Happy to, to join the podcast. And um, having worked both in a, as a school leader in a school that typically had a heavy turnover for various reasons, and now as a division leader in a division that's quite the opposite. Um, I mean, the most important thing that I always tell people is that nothing can happen in a school division, no matter how great your technology is, no matter how charismatic your leadership, if you don't have good teachers in classrooms, that's it. I mean, that, that is the most important lever in public education. And um, I think, you know, the word complex is probably the most important word. And, uh, you know, we just heard a great summary of why it's so complex. And in terms of the policy, the report does a really nice job of, of outlining some of the, the bigger overarching issues around that. But, you know, Virginia is very unique in that local school boards have a great deal of control. Um, so every division in Virginia is going to probably have a different approach to this based on the conditions in their community. But where it becomes challenging is that, you know, these 138 divisions are all located contiguous to each other geographically. So we're essentially competing in every region for talent, and we're trying to retain those who are in our division from going to other divisions to either get a greater salary, different working conditions, a different experience. So, you know, it really, as important of an issue, and I think it's the most important issue as it is, uh, there are so many variables we have to account for in this, and, and it's more so right now than ever. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of conversations. We approach budget season in our school division, other divisions about salary. Um, but then there's some people who say, you know, this is more than the money issue now. Um, you know, we have people who are now leaving the profession. I think that was addressed in the report as well. So um, it's something that's really on everyone's mind right now at this time of year um, as we do enter into the budget season and planning for next year. Um, and I think with the where we're seeing from COVID, the job has changed. I said it the other day, I think we're, we're hearing a lot about teachers being tired, but I made the comment that it's because it's a different job. This is not the same job that an individual who got into public education two years ago walked into this August or September. It's not the same job a teacher that began 15 years ago walked into this September. It is a different job that's going to require different skills. So uh, we've got a lot of things kind of circling at once right now around what we can do to attract and retain good teachers. Um, and, and I'm, you know, some some days I'm optimistic, others I, I do have more concern, but, um, you know, we're, we're looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, that, that, that's um, great. And I, I really do want to dig into the, the point around the, the shifting um, landscape of teacher retention now, because that's that's um, I, I think we're really feeling that now. And I, I'd like to talk more about that. But before we do, I want to um, get a little bit more background on this report. Uh, and so, um, Andrea, and I'm going to pass this to you and just have you tell us a little bit about um, what was the idea for the report? You know, what were the questions that drove the investigation and how did you go about answering your questions? Sure. Um, so this report is um, a collaborative effort between faculty and students at VCU and then local school leaders who are part of the policy and planning council at, at Merck. Um, and, and this is an this is a very valuable uh, collaboration because it brings together re researchers and practitioners. Um, and I really appreciate it, appreciate this kind of work. And prior to the pandemic in spring 2018, the council identified teacher retention as a major problem across local school divisions. And so we launched our study to better understand this policy problem and ultimately wanted to provide additional insights and practical recommendations to school divisions. So our research questions focus on two key parts. First, we wanted to understand what teacher retention policies existed at the federal, state, and local levels, and then specifically dive into those policies um, and how they are structured at the local level across Merck divisions. And um, I don't wanna get too much in the weeds here, but one of the neat things about this report is that we used um, a multi-level teacher policy framework developed by researchers, um, Jennifer Rice and colleagues. And this framework consisted of five different policy strategies to improve retention. These strategies included economic incentives, pathways or avenues into the profession and how school leaders can recruit teachers, the teacher hiring process, teacher professional development and working conditions. So across these five different policy strategies, we then conducted a systematic review of federal and state policies to get a sense of how these various categories um, at these levels help to improve retention. And then at the local level, this, this is the part of uh, qualitative research that is really interesting is that we interviewed a number of school division leaders familiar with teacher retention policies like Andy, 
to then ask them questions, for example, about the types of professional development they offer that could potentially support retention. And so all of this is kind of like the, the overall guide and um, strategy of how we approach the report as a collaborative effort to really offer practical recommendations around this policy issue. Great, um, and I, I wanna um, just ask a follow-up here. Um, we talk about policy and we use this word all the time, but what exactly do we mean by policy and how do we distinguish a policy from a practice? I think that's a conversation I've had with, um, with the team through this. I know it's something you all wrestled with. So Adrian, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass this to you because I know you have some thoughts on it. Sure. I, I think a lot of times in education, we use the term policy when we really mean practice. And that is definitely something that we learned through this, um, through this project. So for instance, a practice might be something that a school building leader says, you know what, as part of my teacher induction program, as part of my onboarding of my new employees, we're going to do this really cool learning activity together. Or in my school, this is how I work with my um, lead mentor teacher to assign mentors and new teachers. But that might not be something that is um, codified in any way. It might not be something practiced at any neighboring school. It might just be something that that team thought was a really good idea and then called a policy. And I, I will say in Virginia, we're particularly prone to doing this, I think, because we have so much site-based management or local control among our schools and school divisions. And there are both really, really great, strong benefits to that site-based management. But when we're looking at policies and trying to ask what's happening broadly and find out what is generalizable to other settings, that becomes somewhat problematic. So when I think about policy, I think about what is codified. Um, if a building leader, say an assistant principal, moves into a principal position at another school, when they were that assistant principal or AP, they were the one in charge of the mentoring program, so to speak, or the induction program in the building, and they leave and nothing's been written down, then we lose that institutional history. And I'm not sure we can call those practices policies. But if, for example, we might even see that one feeder pattern within a larger school division or in a small school division like Andy's, it might be the entire school division. We might say, this is what we do policy-wise, and it can codify here are the not just basic requirements set out for identifying mentor teachers per VDOE guidance, but also then here are the other characteristics we, we look for. Here's the specific skills that we provide professional learning around to those mentor teachers. And then here, is, here are the considerations we've put into rating for assigning or matching our new teachers to those mentor teachers. That might then be described as a policy as opposed to a practice. And um, that, that's great. And Andy, I want you to jump in if, if you don't mind. Um, if you could kind of give some reflections on this difference between, because you've worked at both the building level and the central office level. And so you're kind of, you're kind of going between those, those levels that um, Adria just outlined. So what are your thoughts on this? Uh, Adria put it very well. And I was a building principal in a large division. 
and I am now in a small division, but so in my large division experience, there were variations in, in practice from one high school to another that they could vary dramatically. The conditions could vary dramatically. So the way that, that we had to respond and adapt to that required some, some different action. Now, did that necessarily equate to policy? No, I think policy, especially at the local level, is, is intentionally vague around most issues regarding professional development. Um, I mean, there are other issues that are very prescriptive that are, that are you know, highly legislated or, or very legally focused, but those aren't generally issues that are impacting practice happening in classrooms every day. So then you're essentially given autonomy in your school, especially in a bigger division, to make sure that you're doing whatever you can to, to retain your teachers. It might be small things. It might be in, um, you know, just what you decide to do for Teacher Appreciation Week. It might be how you handle, you know, every building leader, um, you know, is going to have a different fingerprint on how they run their building. And I think we've seen that in other teacher retention studies from Merck is the importance of, of a building principal in really retaining teachers and, and attracting folks. Um, so it is, it's a very vague line between policy and practice. And, and especially in Virginia, where every division is going to have some unique school board policies we do in Goochland that our board has come up with that have kind of gone against, against the grain. Um, and then with, as we heard earlier too, with school funding, if, if we have a local composite index of 0.8 in Goochland, we're not really seeing that much coming from the state or the federal government. So, you know, what we get from our locality is really what drives a lot of what we do. So when we consider policy, it's going to be a little bit different than the division that's, you know, again, receiving a great deal of their funding from the state. Um, so, yeah, it is it is very vague, but but at least in the building, a lot of it has to do with just what your leadership decides to do day in and day out. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that funding piece with the how uh, a division that gets uh, more local funding might be more, uh, you know, focused on local policy development. That's interesting. That's that's really interesting. Um, one other quick question: Who is the audience for this report? Like, who who are you when you when you write this? Who who do you expect to read it? Adria, Andrine, what are your thoughts on that? I know that personally, my my preference and my hope would be that the audience are local school leaders and aspiring local school leaders, both at the building level as well as the central office level. Because at the end of the day, these are the folks that, that as Andy mentioned, these are the folks that really make the difference in terms of teacher retention. And if we retain great teachers, then we know that we're serving the kids in our communities. Andrina, do you agree with that in terms of the primary audience? Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree. Um, I think really it's intended for anyone concerned about teacher retention, uh, but those folks that Adria mentioned, um, central office, superintendents, school building leaders, um, you know, this report enables them to think more innovatively about how to address uh, teacher retention across the, the various categories that we present. That's great. Okay. Um, so what I want to do now is um, get to the findings. Uh, you, you conducted this study. You did you did some analysis of like document analysis of policies, existing policies, and then you um, moved into um, some engagement with the school districts, local school divisions, we call them here in Virginia, um, and conducted interviews. And you were looking at divisions that were across different community contexts. What did you learn um, about 
uh, policies and the policy making levels and how that was all all played out. What were some of the kind of the big takeaways from this? And um, I'll let Andrea start and then jump over to Adria to fill in some gaps. Yeah, I, I think um, our previous discussion around the distinction between policy and practice um, is a guiding um, finding for this work because uh, particularly at the division level, what we found was um, many schools are adapting or adopting certain practices that could be scaled at the division level. Um, and these are you know, ge generally effective um, strategies that they're implementing at the school level that could be scaled up, um, but because of um, you know, funding, you know, funding resources, uh, constraints at the, at the building level and other challenges, we just saw these in piecemeal. And so this conversation and um, you know, the complexity between policy and practice is something that we highlighted um, across the study as, as a major finding. Um, in terms of variation across school divisions, and I think Andy just kind of hinted at this, um, I think the, the variation across school divisions is, is a really big deal, particularly when it comes to recruiting and retaining teachers of color, because many smaller rural divisions, for example, often struggle with recruiting and retaining teachers of color. And of course, this might be for a variety of reasons, right? Um, but school leaders who understand and value teacher diversity may offer different kinds of recruitment uh, perks. Uh, I think one participant said that, you know, this is creative compensation and you have to think about creative ways to attract uh, talent, to attract teachers of color. And so I, I really think that, um, you know, the variation across dis divisions and the, the various resources embedded in within those uh, divisions can really determine the type of workforce um, that each division uh, has. And so I think that's another key finding from our work. Uh, Adria, what do, you, what do you have to add? I, I really appreciate the way that you framed that just now, Anjane. And I think the, the other piece that was really striking about this was just the complexity of it, right? So we all know that this issue is complex, um, it's really hard for school leaders and school division leaders and school boards to detangle the policies and practices that have an impact on teacher retention from those that maybe have a, a different primary goal. And so in our conversations, what we learned was that level of complexity really made it challenging to say this is our teacher retention strategy you know this is how all the pieces of the puzzle in our school division fit together and how we're looking at this and what data actually matter and and that's really tough also then for as we talked about you know the differences between policies and practices and school building leaders having greater autonomy in virginia that's then really difficult to have a conversation with our State Department of Education and our representatives also about what matters. And so sometimes it feels like state level guidance and code regarding teacher licensure and mentoring programs, it feels like it tinkers around the edges, but it's easy to understand why it tinkers around the edges when we see how complex the issue is. 
So, you know, future studies can really dive in and say, how do these data inter intersect? Um, how do we make credible and valid claims? And then what might be some of those implications, both for policy and practice? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I, I was reading through parts of the report this morning and I saw just jumping to a recommendation about kind of like systems level analysis. And these are complex systems, you know, teacher retention is affected by curriculum, professional development, human resources, like across all these departments. Like if you think of like a, a school district, these are all kind of different kind of like locuses of like practice, like making decisions and that all affect teachers work, you know? Um, and then I also think about um, policy systems like how are policies at, like working as systems to impact teachers' experiences of work? So I, I, I really, I think one of the things that I really took away from this is I think you did a, you all did a great job um, saying, you know, really making the point that this is complex and hopefully uh, moving us to some strategies. And I'd really, I'd really um, like to get to that as well. But I also, before I do, I mean, Andy, what's your what's your thought on the this I, the question of complexity and like uh, like really from a division level, do you feel like the the various departments and systems that are influencing teachers' experiences of work are talking to each other, or 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 could there be work done to sort of align and have a coherent? Again, this is the that's in the title of this paper of um, a report is coherence to have like sort of coherent teacher retention um, approach. I was just thinking, Jesse, that it's probably wise to really broaden our lens around which policies have an impact on teacher retention. I think there's some things that I've learned as a division leader that I wouldn't have thought about when I was in a school. Your capital improvement plan, that sounds maybe a little far out when you're talking about teacher retention, but you know, if you're working in a building where your air conditioning doesn't work or you don't have paper towels in your bathroom, you know, stuff like that, it seems trivial, but that is part of retention. I think every policy that a school board has, one way or another, should relate back to retaining and attracting teachers, even those that you might not consider under that umbrella initially. Um, how does your workplace respond to any type of issue of harassment? I mean, things that are that are kind of boilerplate, but but still should be talking to each other. And if and I feel like I'm fortunate. And I know it can be done in any division, but in Goochland, we're such a small place. We've got 2,500 students. We have less than 500 employees. You know, we, we all work together very seamlessly. So, so that helps facilitate that happening on a pretty regular basis. Um, but, but I really think you, you have to kind of consider, you have to look at every one of your policies through the lens of teacher retention. We've talked about that, looking at your policies through the lens of equity. But I think it's probably a good idea for every division as they consider what they're doing, even on the simple things. Is this going to help us to retain our good talent? Is this going to help us to attract talent to replace those who do leave? We have a compensation policy. And that while people think that falls under more of the finance umbrella, one of the goals is to be the leader in our regional market in compensation. And when you codify that, that's very symbolic. And then that's something that's unique to us. St. Chesterfield has something similar where we're publicly saying, and we're, we're signing off on the fact that we, we want to provide our employees with you know, a, a competitive salary and benefits every year. That, that matters, that's gonna affect compensation. Um, 
when you take away the requirement for teachers to to pay tuition if they have kids and they live in another in another locality and they want to bring their kids with them to Goochland, we did that. We reserved some pre-K spots. You know, there are things that I think you just have to maybe broaden that lens a little bit around your policies and 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 really consider that as, as to how it impacts your teacher retention. All right, Adria, um, I'm going to give you a scenario. You're talking to uh, a room of superintendents and and school board members, and you're and you're trying to make a pitch of like this idea of policy coherence for teacher retention. What are some what are some based on what you've learned from this report? What are some recommendations you're going to give them? What are what are sort of like the big implications? How would how would we make change in this area? I think there's multiple opportunities to make change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about coherence. One of the first things that comes to mind is the communication gaps. So I want to go back. I'll, I'll take a couple steps backwards here and um, kind of think about the way that we tend to approach opportunities to improve in education. Often the first thing that happens is we think about what PD do we need? We need better training. We need we need more education. That makes sense for educators. So we try to solve problems through educating. But um, there is there is work out there that says, um, particularly in, in organizations in the business world, that says training is usually only about 10% of the need when you see an obstacle. And when I think about coherence, I think about communication loops and communication gaps. Often what tends to happen is we have somebody in Andy's position who understands that a really strong teacher induction program leads to greater teacher retention. And then you go down the levels until you're talking to the individual, say mentor teacher or coach working with that new teacher in the building. And they say, what's your, what's your goal here? As you're working with this new teacher and they something like they say something to the extent of um, my goal is to help them teach this really well. Okay, well, yes, that's a short-term kind of goal or a short-term uh, output, but if they teach really well, that does ideally then lead to that greater teacher retention. So just teaching well isn't necessarily the goal of this program. So it's how do we close those communication loops, reiterate? the communication, um, the, the primary outcomes that we're aiming for, in this case, teacher retention. How do we speak to the people that are in charge of implementing the actual components? So it might be your mentor teachers working with new teachers. It might be the head of facilities, as Andy was talking about, how does that working air conditioning system or fixing the leaky uh, roof impact that teacher's willingness to stay in that building or stay in that classroom. Um, And I kind of had to chuckle when Andy brought up the air conditioning because the first um, middle school classroom I taught in had really big windows that barely opened a crack and an air conditioning system that was too old to get a replacement part. And uh, it was, it was an experience. Um, Luckily, there were other pieces of that puzzle that led me to really enjoy my job and feel rewarded by it. But we're thinking about a helping profession here where compassion satisfaction needs to be strong. Um, so, you know, it's, it's continuing those conversations and looking at where the communication gaps are happening rather than focusing on, oh, we need more training or we need more PD. So that's one one big piece of the puzzle that comes to mind immediately. 
I really, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, what does that look like in the first step? Like what, what would, a, what, like what, how does, how does a, would a division begin that work? Any thoughts on that? I'm actually going to pass this to Andrine to talk about program <laughs> a little bit more. Well, I, I think, um, you know, not to steer the conversation a different way, but um, we've talked a lot about um, this issue being complex, uh, but I think we can reduce some of this complexity through rigorous data systems. Um, often uh, schools collect and conduct teacher working surveys um, and working condition surveys, whether annually or biannually. And I'm not exactly quite sure how school leaders are using this data strategically and intentionally to think about retention. And, and oftentimes um, it is that teachers leave the field, but they experience aspects of departure and exit well before they do. So they experience that stress, that burnout, that demoralization, that dissatisfaction. And if, if we're thinking about using the kind of data like today or tomorrow through annual feedback, um, annual surveys, the day-to-day the -day contact that school leaders have with teachers through instructional leadership, et cetera, I think you know, utilizing the data that we do have to kind of make sure that uh, school leaders are understanding teachers' experiences and also recognizing that these experiences are quite different across teacher demographics. Um, as a former black teacher, my experience might be much different from someone else's and understanding the nature and how that plays out in the dynamics of the everyday is really important to understanding how we can begin to uh, retain um, you know, a well-trained and diverse teacher workforce. So I think you know, using what we have at our disposal, um, like the, you know, the state surveys and um, other forms of data points can really help us um, help school leaders address this issue. And, and I'll, Jesse, if I can add to that, and this just reminding me of something that we've really been pushing recently. And, you know, we've been using the Merck exit survey for the last few years, and then, which was, was great, but we saw our participation drop a little bit. So then at the end of last year, we did more in-person, just qualitative type uh, interviews with teachers. We got a lot richer data from that, but it dawned on me that I'm, I'm speaking to teachers, several of whom had you know were, were excellent teachers who had experience in the division i'm hearing about things in may that if i had known about in october they might not be walking out the door so to tangerine's point we're i am working to establish a more frequent check-in with teachers so that we can just identify areas where we might need to dig a little bit deeper so instead of it being an exit survey in may we're going to be administering a just a kind of a brief survey to our staff to just get a pulse in our workforce and see, okay, you know, how are things going in your building? And, you know, any concerns with leadership? It'll be anonymous. It's, you know, we're, we're using a third party to administer it so people feel comfortable being honest about that. Um, but I don't think school divisions typically, and we haven't in the past, done a good enough job of collecting that, uh, that really pulse of your workforce on a more frequent basis. You know, you, you, when you're doing an exit interview in June or, or May, it's just, it's, it's postmortem. Um, you know, there's not much you can do with that, but I think we can do more to, to maybe uh, catch that before it turns into a teacher walking out the door. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting that there's more um, uh, focus on that type of data now. The state just implemented some requirements around reporting exits. 
Um, and uh, the working condition survey is great from the state, although it's, it's only been around for like three or four years now, um, but it's good that we're starting to focus on that. But if I could take a theme away from this, it seems like the beginning, the entry for school divisions into untangling the complexity of this issue is like, let's listen to some teachers. Let's hear what they have to say through their surveys. Let's start talking to them. They need to be, their ideas need to be at the table as we're formulating retention policies. And of course that makes sense. You know, teachers know what teachers need. Um, Adrian, were, were you gonna jump in with something? I saw you. Yeah, I also had a thought about the questions that we're asking and how, and how we're putting those into categories as well. So for instance, um, in many uh, surveys, you know, exit surveys, for example, um, at the state level and in other spaces, I've seen um, the question around teachers leaving to stay home with their children being classified as a, as a personal choice, but there's a real financial choice in there too. So we know by talking to teachers that in many areas, the cost of childcare for two kids may be higher than a teacher's salary. So the choice to leave to stay home with kids may not be a personal choice as much as a financial choice. Um, and so it, it's really important that when we're asking about reasons for exiting or reasons to consider not staying in the classroom full time, we're thinking about how, how we're asking that question and where that coherence, right? So if it's staying home with kids, are we tying that together with other financial policies? And, one of the great things that we learned through this report, Andy mentioned, for instance, weaving the, tu the tuition dollars um, for teachers to bring, uh, to bring their kids to Gouchin County. We've also heard of things like providing free transportation. Um, if, if, uh, if a teacher is bringing their own kids in the morning, but their kids go to another school that starts later, then there's transportation to that other school. So again, it's that childcare, even though the child doesn't need childcare, you know, they're school-aged, but there's childcare needs for 30 minutes at the beginning of the day or an hour at the end of the day. Those are, again, financial considerations that a school division might, might put into their policies. Right, that's, 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 um, that's a great example. Um, I wanna start winding it down, but I, I, I don't think we can, past without talking a little bit about um, just where public education has been over the past two years with the pandemic, um, the shutdown of, you know, face-to-face -face instruction to some extent, moving into hybrid, coming back now. But again, I think we're still kind of stumbling, you know, into whatever the future public education looks like. And I know this has huge effects on the teaching workforce. And we've been hearing a lot about that recently. There've been, you know, a, a number of reports about the, the um, the stress that teachers are experiencing now. Um, and I just want to pose the question, like uh, how, you know, what is this, how does this shine a light on current, you know, teacher retention policy and what suggestions does it, it um, you know, what, is, what does it sort of suggest about where we should go with policy? Are there any kind of ways that we should look at this through that lens? You can jump in with a couple of thoughts. The first is that the working conditions have changed significantly this year, particularly in Virginia. Um, we know that. We know that the staffing shortages are acute, which means that some of those basic needs during the day are hard to take care of, like being able to even use a restroom, being able to have an uninterrupted lunchtime. Um, for many teachers right now in Virginia, that is not happening. 
So it's not just the job itself, but the working conditions within which we're doing a very different job. And we need to first acknowledge that and look at what policies exist currently in the Commonwealth of Virginia around working conditions. I think the next set of questions and, and maybe opportunities to advocate for stronger teacher retention policies are around maybe the SOQs, the standards of quality in Virginia, looking at the funding behind that. And then also looking at what guidance exists at the state level um, and then at the division level regarding teacher induction or what we often call teacher onboarding. Um, is it the structural pieces that are provided in guidance or is it the why and how as well? So much of what we've seen in Virginia in the past has very much been the what, but not necessarily the why and the how. And looking into that in alignment with those working conditions, I think might advance teacher retention or take us at least to a better place. And I think the challenge that we're running into right now is that teachers are, you know, they've made it very clear, they're, they're everyone, principals, teachers, cafeteria workers, custodians, everyone is working harder than they ever have. They're tired, but at the same time, our kids need more than they've ever needed. And so we're, as school divisions, I think we wrestle with the best way to, to negotiate that because we, I mean, our primary mission is to educate kids. That's it. And if we don't have teachers in the classrooms doing that, like I said at the very outset of the podcast, that's not going to happen. Um, so, you know, we've seen different divisions do some creative things sort of midway through the year to, to try to relieve that. And some divisions have, have closed their doors for a few days. Um, but I think you do have to think creatively about it. Um, but I think you have to keep your mission at the forefront and that's to make sure that your students are being educated effectively. Um, but there is some, some tension between those two things right now, because we, to do that, we've, we've got to maintain and retain our, our effective teachers in every classroom. Um, it does make it tough. And, um, yeah, it's just, like I said before, it is, it has changed the profession completely. And I think we're going to have to spend the next few years adapting to what is a different job description. And that's, and that makes people tired. It's like when you get off a plane in a foreign country and you're just exhausted, you haven't done anything, but you're just tired because you're hearing a new language and you're surrounded by new things. That's kind of like what it is coming back to teaching in a school this year. You know, you, you, you thought you knew what you're going to expect and, and you, you're used to what you've been doing for the past few years, but this is totally different and it wears you out and we're going to have to adapt and, and make some changes as needed. I, I agree with everything um, Andy and Adria have already said, but the, the only thing I'll add is um, I think this is an important opportunity for teacher preparation programs and universities to really think differently about the job and work of teaching, as Andy just talked about. I'm not in schools, um, I'm, you know, proxy to schools, but I'm not, I'm not doing the work. And so, um, you know, really thinking differently about how to prepare a new cohort of teachers who, who are entering the workforce in this very new landscape, I think is just really important and something that I've, I've just not seen a lot of conversation around from a policy perspective. 
Okay, and I, I want to um, wrap us up today with one last question, and I really want to think about concrete actions we can take. Um, you know, there's there's recommendations, but then like practically tomorrow, what might I do if I if I have a, a lot of concern about you know the the working conditions and you know experiences of teachers and the stability of our schools because of that? Um, what can I do, and what can we do individually? What can do, we do collectively to um, to make a difference in this area? And I'm going to start this with Andy and then go around the circle. Yeah, if you're, you're talking about you know, what we do tomorrow, I think this goes back to a comment that was already made, it's just doing our best to respect teachers' time right now. We, we hear that a lot, and it's, it's something as simple as doing whatever you can to not pull them during their planning period to go cover a class because we're short on subs. We've tried to incentivize subs, pay them more to come in, um, our central office employees are, I was at Goochin Elementary School doing lunch duty um, on Wednesday. I mean, I, I think we've just got to do whatever we can to to respect teachers' time, but also, like you said, Jesse, to, to make the first priority, ensuring that we're hearing their voices too as we plan for the future and as we plan for the present. Um, we, we just have to make sure that we're not sitting, you know, in, in our, in my office here, making these decisions without getting that feedback. Uh, we do a good job of that here, but it's, it's especially important right now. Andrea, I'm going to pass it to you. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've also done some work in, um, in Oklahoma studying the teacher shortages there uh, a few years back. And one of the things that I, I see coming up over and over again, even in, um, our conversations with school division leaders for this study is that teachers often feel undervalued and underappreciated by the public uh, and by policymakers. And so I think, you know, the question about what we can do individually and collectively, I, I'd kind of frame my, um, my comment towards uh, the public to kind of say, you know, we can pay more attention to policies that impact teachers. Um, you know, when those measures, those bills are coming through, that ask teachers to do more, but with fewer uh, resources or inadequate financial and instructional resources, I think this is our opportunity as a collective public, um, you know, to, you know, mention and say those things at school board meetings so that teachers know that they're supported and that they have um, a collective public, you know, willing to go to bat for them. And, and I think that's really important uh, because, public perception does shape teacher morale. And it sounds really big and like this very abstract idea, um, but this is a part of um, one, of, you know, a part of the reason why teachers say that, you know, they, they exit the classrooms because they can work elsewhere for the same amount of money and then, you know, feel more appreciated. Um, and so I, I, I really don't think salary oftentimes the conversation goes to salary, but a big part of it is also um, the symbolic value that teachers get from how the public perceives their, their role and their identities as, as professionals. All right, Adria, finish us off on this, on this question. You know, what, I, what I've heard throughout our conversation and, and from my colleagues here today is really a focus on just basic dignity that the students in the classrooms, the folks who work in the cafeterias, the other instructional support staff, bus drivers, and teachers, everyone that we broadly define as an educator, and I would include every single person I just mentioned as an educator, um, 
they deserve dignity. And so looking, just like we said before, looking at all of our policies through the lens of equity, through the lens of teacher retention, I think if we have that basic question in mind, how do we treat someone with even more dignity um, and make sure that that is at the forefront, then the policy decisions made will be better. (laughs) They will improve teacher retention and showing up And, you know, here in Virginia, we're getting ready for the next session starting, you know, beginning of 2022. There are a lot of bills right now in development that have the potential to impact education on multiple levels. So as a general public, we can go to bat for our educators and our students by reading those bills carefully, by asking questions, um, and by asking even more so how will this be implemented and what might that look like on a day-to-day basis for the people in classrooms? And then let's see, is this the right time? Is there enough funding? And will this advance our schools? All right, that's great. We're gonna have to leave it there for now. However, if you are interested in today's discussion, I encourage you to download, review, and share this report in your networks. It can be found on our website at mercsoevcu.edu backslash reports, and that's merc.soevcu.edu. On the website, you can also check out Merck projects and reports on other prominent issues in public education. You can sign up for our stakeholder email listserv to stay up to date with our latest research and resources. And you can also listen to other episodes of Abstract. And if you want, you can subscribe to Abstract wherever you get your podcasts, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast and the Merck website. Our thanks as always to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck and to all our all of our partner school divisions, Chesterfield, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Petersburg, and Richmond Public Schools. Thanks to Andy, Andreen, and Adria for sharing their perspective today. And of course, as always, thanks to you for joining our conversation. We hope you'll share this episode with anyone who you think would find it interesting or helpful. This has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Let's talk again soon.